0: Just as a warning, this episode contains some discussion of suicide, so if anything comes up for you or you know of someone in need of mental health support, call Free ADF Veterans and Family Service Open Arms on 1800 011 046 or in an emergency call 000. Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, informs, and embraces the spouses beside the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care, and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets defence life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever and whenever you want. And with products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses, you'll wonder why you didn't join sooner. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Welcome to the podcast, Joanna, Marcel, Julia, Madonna and psychologist Brooke. Joanna, you were a defence partner for 26 of your partners, nearly 33 years in defence. Your husband has now transitioned out of the defence force. And so you're now part of a veteran family, but you're a strong advocate when it comes to having a voice for the defence community. Why are you so passionate about highlighting defence and veteran life?
1: I am very passionate about supporting veteran and defence families because it gets into every aspect of your life. The defence lifestyle and there's so many impacts that you have along the way and I thought when we left defence that all of that would be over but it's almost like there's an imprint upon us and it's still with us and we're still dealing with those impacts. And I want to be here to support um, other defence families and veteran families moving forward.
0: Marcel, your partner is currently deployed. You have spent a fair bit of time apart. You're coming to the discussion through the lens of someone who doesn't have children, has a demanding career in medicine and has struggled to maybe see themselves represented when it comes to defence partners and the conversations surrounding the needs and wants of modern spouses in 2022.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me back. I've definitely found that I've have had trouble finding my place, I guess, throughout um, the years my husband has been serving. We've been together 15 years and uh, or 16 almost, I think, and he's been in just over that. And it, it's one of those things that I've definitely had to put my own life goals and things on um, on hold, or our, our goals is to have a family, um, to be able to pursue my own career, um, given that his career has sort of dictated so much of where we live and what we do and where we go. And even now, I mean, here's away. way I think we've spent something like three of the last four years not living together. So um, for, enabled, to enable me to be able to pursue my own career, which up until this point sort of hadn't been possible unless we actually took that step to to have to live separately. So, yeah, there's so much, I think, of his life that's impacted mine and also that identity with so many partner groups and so many things that are often tailored towards people with children and and connecting within those groups. Um, And I just obviously don't fit into that realm so well. Julia,
0: you have your own community through your page, The Home Post, with a particular focus on defence partners who have also taken on the role of carers after yourself becoming a carer early on in your relationship. Why do you think it's important that a broad range of defence partners Partners are part of the conversation when it comes to defence families and the support and services we need.
3: We don't all fit that particular mould of what a family is. It's not just a service member and a partner. It's not a service member, a partner and children. So for our family, we fit a very different demographic in that we've ridden the medical downgrade and the transitioning out of defence for most of our time together, which has been 10 years. And we're still dealing with the fallout of those injuries now. So my partner identity has been a very different journey to other partners because of what we've experienced and what it's like living with someone with injuries and learning constantly what your new lifestyle is, what your new capacities and limits and what you can do as a family in this community versus what you can't go out and do on a regular basis because of the impact that the injuries have on you. And so that's something that people can learn from and understand to better support. But also if they then end up navigating that, it's definitely a demographic of family that you can learn from.
0: Madonna, your husband, Michael, sadly died in 2004 after serving for a decade in the army. And struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder and mental health issues. You recently told your family story at the Royal Commission into Defence and Veterans Suicide. You have previously been involved in the Female Veterans and Veterans Families Policy Forum and have been a strong voice within the community and in the media. You not only believe that more and varied voices need to be heard, but that real change comes from those
4: voices. Absolutely. Thanks, Bec. I believe that lived experience is what we need and that's the rally we need behind to actually have the departments create the change. We need to be the driving force within the current serving members and veterans families, within the transition families. We still need to be the voice for the ones that are still coming through. My experience with this was I've got a big time gap but when I sat in the forum in Canberra, I was really quite shocked and it really took it to my bone because I had not experienced other families for a very, very long time. And there's, these are young women there and their stories, they were my story. And I thought nothing has changed in 20 years. And that's criminal. That's absolutely criminal. And unless we have the voices, and that can happen Unless we have the voices, we won't be able to drive the change. And that's what we really need to do. Lived experience needs to drive the change. And those are the forums that we need to have. Lived experience only, driving change and making sure that that change goes all the way through to the top. Yeah. very passionate about it. It's very hard to watch and listen and realise why? Why hasn't it changed? I, I, I really didn't understand. So now I'm about creating change, having my voice. The Royal Commission gave me my voice back and now I'm just not going to stop talking, Back. <laughs> I'm just going to keep to talking to whoever's going to listen. <laughs> exactly.
0: We want you to keep talking. And Brooke, your husband is currently serving and you have a strong connection to defence due to many in your family being in defence and you yourself being a defence kid. And now obviously being a defence partner, you're a psychologist and are going to bring your expert opinion through the lens of someone with lived experience themselves and really provide important insight and explore the emotions connected to, to today's discussion.
5: Yes, I would. I would love to from multiple aspects.
0: So if we can firstly talk about where and how we as partners and as defence families are part of the conversation or decision-making process when it comes to defence partner and family-related challenges, funding, support, programs, services, improvement changes, what works and what doesn't work, all of it, let's open up the discussion about where we fit as partners and families?
3: It's a good question, but it's a question that I still, 10 years later, scratch my head every day about and ask because I'm not quite sure what the answer to some of those aspects is. I know that as far as us informing policy, if we have our own platforms, we can tell our stories, but we can also be very reserved and guarded there still because we're not quite sure what we can put out there or how people are going to take that. And there's a great divide between experiences and people being able to resonate with what somebody's saying, well, my experience was negative versus positive. And then I think there's also, we know that we get to do surveys and we get asked particular focused questions but they can often miss the mark for a lot of us because that's not where our experience is at the time and we're just asking for a picture set of a certain circumstance a certain topic or item so that can leave a lot of us scratching our head and going well well where do we fit and how do I connect with informing using my voice how do I raise my topic how do I move that from item 33 on somebody's list to item five because there's 500 families experiencing this and I know this because they've told me and I want to put that forward so yeah I've honestly 10 years later I still scratch my head at that question.
0: And Madonna you have been part of the conversation through the Female Veterans and Veterans Families Policy Forum uh, which I assume is being recognised as as being a voice within the community through one of the formal channels that are provided for families. How did that make you feel when you were part
4: of that forum? When I first was invited I was really quite bit shocked because I thought to myself wow they are actually trying to create change this this should be good I really had a long time away I lived overseas for 10 years so I thought oh well this will be good but in the back of my mind it kept coming back to me is this just a tick and flick because we've seen so many of them how many surveys how many research studies have we done How many forums have to happen? How many more new organisations have to be made? But nothing at the core is really changing. So with these forums, that's when I heard these stories and I realised nothing had changed. And then that was 2019, then COVID happened, it was online. And then I went back this year and really nothing's changed. So in the back of my mind, I thought, is it a tick and flick or are we going to see change? Unfortunately, I haven't seen any change. And that is where I believe it has to now go to more community level, where if somehow if we can empower each other as, as well, I'm a former partner, but I know what it was like. And then I was the carer, so I, I lived that experience as well. But I think we really need to go back to the roots and start saying, okay, just like every other thing to do with defence in Australia has had to fight for Vietnam you know, Bets Counselling Service to start with, the Bets had to fight for that. I think families. I know we're also very, very busy. We have to actually start looking at how do we create this change because it's not coming from the top. It's not happening. We all know it. And. After living in America, I lived in a big military town in Texas and I was able to go on base and I did some work over there and trained with an organisation called TAPS and it's about um, tragedy and the support that these people have created. Like there's grief counselling, so I did a peer for grief, there's suicide survivors, there's all of these courses around um, the tragedy of serving in America. I was so gobsmacked to see the services provided to families in America. I know they have a massive military presence However, they've worked it out. I mean, Defence has been around forever. Why haven't we worked it out in Australia? I, I just really don't get it. And so to me, I think it's time now. I've witnessed the forums. I don't know if I'll be invited back, but I'm okay with that. When you go to the Royal Commission, you have your voice and that empowers us to have more voices. And just part of that, defence partners can speak at the Royal Commission. They don't have to be named. They can do a private session. It's so hugely important to, to give these voices so that we can create the change within defence and within dvla And that's, I believe, one of the biggest ways we're going to create change is through this Royal Commission, through the new government, hopefully, We've now got people in place that are listening and we're just not going to say, here's 32 recommendations, we won't do one of them. So I think change has to come from within the community.
0: And Joanna, during your time as a spouse and now a veteran spouse, do you feel like you had found your place or your voice in regard to being represented or being part of the conversation or having any sort of sway when it comes to those supports and services that are provided for us to, I guess, meet the challenges of Defence Life?
1: Beck, I only really started having a voice in Defence when my husband became sick. Up until that point, I was more an accessory. You know, I got trotted out at dining in nights and I turned up at family barbecues and, you know, um, I did things that helped him to assist with his career. But no one really consulted me and asked me my opinion on how things could be improved in any kind of formal capacity. The really empowering thing about no longer being in defense is now I say whatever I want. There's always that fear there from spouses, even when you have a conversation with them, that if we're talking about something that seems a little bit prohibited um, that this is going to have impacts on their husband's career and uh, everybody seems to be really really wrapped up in um, the um, consequences of having a conversation and I found that really challenging when I was a defence spouse because I was hardly compliant as a defence spouse at all. So As a veteran, a lot of what Madonna is saying as a veteran spouse, it resonates with me strongly. I speak more now because I realise the impacts now that we're out. We are still living with, I still go to work, not sure if my husband's. Madonna, you know, not sure if he's going to be here when I get home. Sorry. Anyway, but I have to work. I have to have a job because if something happens, I have to support our family and I can't go out there and find a job after being a carer for two years. My prospects would be very low. So there is very little support for families struggling with the mental health impacts of the job. And especially when our partners start to decline, because initially I thought he had a clinical illness and I could not work out why he wasn't being investigated from a clinical perspective to see. Um, I actually thought he had like some kind of motor neuron MS, like his whole functioning completely declined. He couldn't get out of bed. He couldn't dress himself. I thought maybe he had a severe influenza. Do you know what I mean? that didn't get investigated so for me that was a major concern but what ended up happening is when he got sick and he couldn't be hospitalized because he wasn't sick enough to be in hospital he got sent home to me and like what madonna said with the people in the us who receive all the courses and they received the mental health training and they received the um the counseling on suicide awareness and stuff i didn't know what to do myself my sons we We were taking time off work and off school to make sure at all times there was someone at home with my husband because defense did not know what to do. And it's really disappointing when I hear Madonna say 20 years on that nothing has changed. Our greatest support and the people that encouraged me to have a voice were the very old, cynical, jaded vets from the veteran community. And they were the ones that said, right, this is what you're going to need when you're going to get out. Have you got a house? No, you're going to need a house, right? Have you got a deposit? You're going to need this. You're going to need this. From a financial perspective, where are you? And they then put the plan in place. This is what you do. These are the decisions you make. They know because they've been there and they are on top of it, looking after veterans all the time. And I cannot impress on anyone enough that if you are in the process of dealing with a person who is carrying any kind of injury that you should probably start engaging with the veteran community because that that's where all the advice is free flowing.
0: Thank you for sharing your story with us Joanna I know it's not easy. And of course, obviously, it's just as important for current serving families to also feel like they can step forward and have that voice. I mean, it's great that you've been able to say, okay, we're out of the system. We're in the veteran community. We can... We don't have to feel like we have to soften our voice. We can say it as it is. We can speak freely because we're not connected now and we aren't within the system. It's not going to impact my partner's job and all of that sort of stuff. So just as important as that freedom that you get when you are ex-serving and you can have that voice, it's just as important for the current serving families to also have that voice so that things can change in regard to the support and services that we have before we discharge out of defence. Brooke, how do we move away from feeling misunderstood or feeling disconnected from the supports and services and what is provided for us? Because defence has always always existed. These challenges are always going to exist. It's not like, you know, defence are hanging out because that problem will go away in a couple of years. Like this is only going to keep happening. The challenges, the problems, the supports and services that we need are always going to be there. How do we move through those feelings of feeling, I guess, maybe let down, misunderstood, feeling disconnected from the process because we don't feel like we fit in in regard to the decisions and what is available to us when really more of our voices is what is needed?
5: A few components there. So I really hear what Madonna was saying before when you were talking about how community, we need to self-advocate. And it sucks that it has to be on on us for that. But in terms of the military or or the Defence Force, they have that hierarchical system where it's keep everything quiet, you have to go up the ranks, um, and that can be very isolating and siloing. And with Defence Partners, we are supporting someone, we are putting our life on hold. We need that village. I mean, humans, we're wired for connection. We need that village anyway. So there needs to be democracy, there needs to be compassion, And normalising these experiences, like Madonna said, Julia said, all of you said, and, you know, Beck as well, things haven't really changed from the 80s, you know, as we've discussed in terms of how these things are dealt with. We have a massive source of untapped data to intervene and set up these supports before they become something that is at crisis mode. So we have all this information, but no one is asking for it and applying it in a meaningful way. So often a lot of us, we feel misunderstood, we feel undervalued because we're doing all of the emotional labor, we're doing all of the flexibility. Often we're doing all of the labor, especially if we have children or we have pets to look after, if we have careers as well, we're making changes and prioritizing somebody else's career. And we can't even really complain about it because then that might impact their career. And no one likes to be a self-sacrificing secondary person in somebody else's life. That's where resentment is built. So we need to have meaningful connection and authentic conversation to feel like it's for a purpose. If it's not for a purpose, we become resentful. It becomes more difficult for the defense member to do their job. It becomes more difficult for us to sustain this lifestyle. And we start to feel like maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe we're not resilient enough. Because that expectation as well, when you all might understand speaking to someone who doesn't experience this lifestyle, you get a lot of, you know, you're so resilient. I couldn't do that. That's very distancing and isolating. That's not helpful. That's not supportive. And you're not getting any support, it's almost a little bit alienating. So I think if we're feeling misunderstood, if we're feeling undervalued, if we're not feeling acknowledged, it's important for us to identify, okay, what are our needs? Where do we go to to be heard? And seek out community to get those needs met, hear that echoed back to you. And I know that's easy to say, but, you know, that is where we need to go. We need to seek connection. A flow on from that is if we don't even as
0: partners and families know where we fit in the conversation, how will we then being represented if we aren't even being meaningfully engaged with. And in regard to that, you know, how are we being properly represented if we're not being consulted, if we're not being engaged with, but we are
2: just being spoken for and not spoken to? it's interesting because I think like so many of those points about sort of feeling like not connected and not engaged when when my husband deployed the first time he went out of unit on a deployment so and it's similar this time to be honest but I got contacted by the organization that is meant to contact you about your deployment your partner's deployment or your husband's deployment um, after he got back and he was away for seven months and so I was I was fortunate that I we were living at this time on a base in regional Victoria and I had people I knew and people People who would like I knew that he'd fortunately plugged into the mess there one of the messes there and I would just go on my own and turn up at the mess on Friday every second Friday um to kind of continue that connection um, and they were like how are you going and I was like oh the lawns are really long and one of the guys was like I'll come I'll come over your lawns like the people around me stepped up but the services and support that were meant to be there and that were meant to like check in with me I didn't get like I didn't hear from um, his superiors I didn't hear from anyone like no one contacted me and he was having a shit time over there as well so um, that didn't help that I was dealing with his distress he was having his family member became really unwell at home he wasn't able to come home like there was like he just made it in time before he had a a grandparent pass away and things like that. It was all just, he'd even forgot to pick him up when he was uh, he was in a park with no other Australians. And he ended up being left there, the, um, one of the services that was meant to collect him and bring him home forgot so we had to wait a whole week before he could be brought home. And so like sort of like I was left isolated and alone and not contacted. And he was the same. And this is sort of like our individual like the opposite side of the world. And I just didn't think like I was like, I don't even know where to begin. And I had a lot of people and options around me, but I just didn't even feel like I could reach out. I think that's the sort of thing I was like, I should be dealing with this, should be managing this. Yeah. And I think that the isolation of that has been huge has had a big impact And I actually really dreaded this deployment coming up because of that experience then, and none of it was dealt with. And I feel a bit better prepared this time just because I had the last experience, but it still doesn't make it any easier.
4: That's the part that I find completely mind blowing, because we have other countries that have worked it out to a point where services are there. It's then whether the people can access the services. So. That's the part I don't get. Why is this puzzle so hard when we've got other countries around the world doing so much better than we are doing and when it's mentioned, you know, at the forums that I've attended, nothing changes. Like, that's the hardest part. When I've attended forums and walked away and wondered if that would change would come and then I'll talk to another veterans partner in 2022 after attending forums for three years and realise still nothing has changed. Is it going to change on the ground with current Defence-serving members and their partners and children? Because that's where I believe is that's where you step in. I think that Defence as well as DDA need to really look at how they are actually treating the partners, how they are actually implementing services when the crisis happens or when the changes are happening and that there's some trigger that set somebody into a spiral of PTSD, that's when people should be able to be stepping in. And it should be a, a particular team that actually can, that that knows the next steps for both parties, the partner and the, and the veteran. You know, give them the right steps, give them the right advice so that they can go, okay, can we work through this? Can we get better? It's all of those things. But I'm still really saddened that after all these years that those sort of services are still not in place.
0: Nine out of 10 defence spouses wish they found out about Defence Bank sooner. Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning and currently has a rating of 4.8 out of 5 in both the app and Google Play Store. It does everything a big bank app does with cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, pin change functionality, savings roundup, spend tracker, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a defense bank branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia and with many of their branch staff a defence spouse or partner you'll be talking to someone who just gets it banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard for more info visit defencebank.com.au
4: when i hear about the partners I, I have about you know like a defence member being deployed but no contact until the defence member returns i'm thinking like how hard is this this is a list of soldiers names and they they're next of kin i mean it's not hard this is not we're not building rockets here we're just we're just wanting to provide services and realize that if they have an unhealthy partner if the veteran becomes unhealthy and that spirals the partner then we have a complete imploding situation happening that's the heartbreaking thing and I think that's where if I could see any if I could do anything to create change that would be my main area is supporting them while they're there in that period of time where they just need more supports around them, to ease the level of anxiety. We can get more supports around the couple and the children and the right supports, the quality supports. Billions of dollars are given to DBA and billions of dollars are given to Defence every year. I know it is a machine, but they keep forgetting that for that machine to work healthily, for the soldier to stay in longer, for the soldier to get through different situations in life, he needs a healthy wife as well and children. He needs, they all need that support. I think when you go
0: into, I guess, when you are living defence life and you go into the various things that come along with defence life, whether it be separation, deployments or, you know, moving to different locations, you just assume that there are systems and things in place because there's organisations that represent us and are providing a voice for us and telling the people that are supporting us and providing for us what we need. And then when we aren't aren't able to access what we need because it sort of falls short, we are left wondering, well, how are we being represented and and what are those organisations advocating for? If when it comes time for me to access support or be supported or, you know, the challenges of defense life come up, that you don't know which door to open and it's kind of like digging for treasure to find what you need at that time.
5: I really resonate with, with what you said, Marcel, around, you know, feeling isolated and also dealing with your partner's distress and potentially being the only person they can be vulnerable around when they are in that situation, because that's not encouraged. So you're dealing with your distress, you're frustrated, you're isolated, and then you're trying to support somebody who's in potentially a life or death situation, which is always something that we carry around with us all the time. If we don't have a knock-on effect, someone to go to and debrief with to get that support to, or someone, you know, a mentor, someone who has that wisdom and that experience around how to manage this or navigate this when you have someone who's going through a deployment and you're going through a deployment. If we don't have access to that as a standard practice of deployment, how is that helpful? And I hope you don't mind if I share a bit of a personal experience that I had. I think I went into being a military spouse with pretty high hopes or expectations. I guess I just took it for granted that this was something that had been going on for a really long time, i.e. deployments, so that there would be like quite a structured process to support the things that that would all come up for everybody. And when my husband was deployed, one of my family members became quite sick. I would, you know, we were posted where they were nearby, but I didn't have any other family members. And I was also in suburbia where I was very isolated. We didn't have children at the time and I was studying like and working about an hour and a half away. So things were pretty heavy and I was trying to be proactive. I said, okay, well, I'm already feeling a bit isolated and now my husband's going away for nine months. So... Called up support services and said, hey, like, can I move closer, please? Smaller place. I just need to be closer to the military community. I need to be closer to my work. I need to be closer to the family member that I'm now looking after. Um, I'm feeling really isolated. And I really just want to set myself up for success here with my husband gone. I don't have any support. And they said, no, just no. So that was really frustrating. And then when things took a dive with my family member, I called them and said, hey, could you, um, you know, I I read somewhere that you can help fly up a family member to help me out when things are pretty dire and I'm all alone. And they said, oh no, because it's not life or death and it was a pre-existing condition. No. So red tape really got in the way there and I became pretty disillusioned and resentful around that. I did get some resolution, but I had to push pretty hard. And if I had any, you know, if my cup had been less full, if I had been a different person in different circumstances, I would have stopped trying. And that would have been so, so sad. So not only do we know what happens to people when they are rebuffed in that way and they don't have that, um, for whatever reason, they don't continue to push, which they shouldn't have to. You know, I've had that personal experience as well of how disappointed and alone you can feel hitting a wall of something that's supposed to be there. Particularly to support you. The key point within
0: that was that you do expect. That defense has existed for how many years, but you and you do expect that there are structured systems. And that when it feels like every person that's coming up against a certain challenge when it comes to defense life. And it doesn't have to be a critical challenge. It could just be, you know, the challenge of getting a child into a, a school at the new posting location, whatever challenge it is, that you f- expect that there's structured supports and systems surrounding those challenges because those challenges have always existed. And then when there isn't, it's like every every defence partner, every defence family is reinventing the wheel by going through the motions of, well, why doesn't this exist? Who are the the people that are pushing for change within this area? And it's like, you know, you go through the motions and every new defence partner family that experiences that problem, it seems, then goes through those motions, but it never sort of goes anywhere and never sort of leads to any significant change.
1: I think the biggest frustration for me, and possibly other people, is that it's not being taken seriously. By the time I am asking for help, I've already tried several other avenues to solve my problem. So when I'm coming to Defence and going, right, who do I talk to about getting this problem fixed? It's like, well, solve your own problems.
0: Brooke, what kind of impact can it have on people? You know, Marcel has mentioned, you yourself have mentioned that when you've gotten to the stage where you've reached out for support or realised that that there isn't support there or maybe felt a little bit let down in the process, but then, you know, you're still living defence life, you're still going to have to post again, you're still going to have to go through another deployment or separation. How do you move through those feelings when this is still going to be part of your life. It's not like you can go, okay, well, that was terrible. I never want to do that again because you don't have control over that. You will at some point have to do that again. How do you move through feelings of being let down and not sort of, I guess, moving to the stage of resentment and pushing back against defence life because you still have to live defence life?
5: And I think that answer would be different for everybody. You know, if humans are in a situation where they've reached out for help and they feel there's a there's a wall there, there's hopelessness, they don't have agency in their lives. That's where anxiety, despondency, depression come in and it becomes harder to function. It becomes harder to have meaningful connection with your partner because there's that resentment there. So that can be something that Triggers the urge to retreat and isolate, which is the opposite of what we need. And I think the answer again would be we need connection. We need people to validate our experiences. We need to feel like we have some control, some say in the process. We need to feel seen. We need to feel heard. We need to feel like we can be our authentic selves. And so when we are feeling isolated, feeling rebuffed, and feeling like we are, you know, we're not allowed to say certain things, we need to find the ways that we can to connect with other people who feel the same way, who have had the experience. And that's not to create an echo chamber of of discontent because that's not helpful. And I know that's not, you know, it's absolutely valid and important to have a discussion where everyone can air their grievances, have that validation. But as long as it's moving towards solutions and and positive change and a way to address that. Otherwise, we continue to feel angry and helpless and powerless. So again, I would say, you know, agreeing with what Madonna has said, community. We know that there's
0: no one out there that's going to fix all of our problems and that even with the best intentions, with program supports, whatever it is that Is introduced or adjusted or made better, we know that it's not going to solve all the challenges of defence life, but being involved in that conversation and actually being heard and seen as being an important part of that conversation is what we're trying to say. And it also means not only being involved in the conversation with more voices, more lived experience in conversations in discussions but it also means being part of the uh, having a voice and being part of the conversation when it comes to the development of programs and understanding the needs when it comes to support and services so having more of us be involved in the conversation and the development of programs and supports and services and that lived experience really coming into that picture as opposed to supports and services or people having a voice for us and those programs or pilot programs or whatever it whatever it is that are introduced to support us being put out into the world and then us saying after the fact, well, that actually doesn't fit because of this, this and this. And if you had heard our voice or had heard some lived experience on this, you would know to adjust that program like this or that a hundred people actually need this. Because when only a few voices represent us, they're not necessarily taking into account all of the views and all of the voices of the community. And that's not to say that we need, you know, ten thousand people in a conversation about a support program or the needs of defence families. But what it is saying is that more of us need to be part of that voice and need to be part of the conversation so that more of us are represented as opposed to just a handful representing us and the same cohort representing us who might have the same voices. So, you know the same people subset doing the surveys the same people being connected to the research the same people who go along to -to face-to-face community centers and forums and have the opportunities to for instance meet the minister or connect with defense families australia when when they visit community centers or the like there are certain people that are able to do that because they are connected in that way or they have the time or they know about it that but there are a whole range of other defence partners and families who aren't being represented because they aren't able to connect in that way. They don't know that there's a forum or how to have a voice. So we're not necessarily all represented in the way that we need and want to be.
2: I think my level of frustration as well comes from how well I've actually seen it done with defence, which is not a common, I guess, thing that you, you've you heard, but people often hear often as we just see the negative And When we were living in Darwin, there was an entire unit that was being moved to Townsville. So um, 2CAP was being moved to Townsville. And because of the move and all of the, like, they decided, and it was kind of advocated for a little bit at base level, but it didn't have to have a lot of pushing, but they flew every family member that wanted to go from Darwin to Townsville for a three-day period, put us up in a hotel, drove us around to show schools, gave people an opportunity to sort of figure out housing options, um, showed like where the main housing estates were, all of this sort of thing, completely funded by Defence. So they covered, yeah, flights, accommodation. Um, they even covered most of the meals. I think you just had to sort your breakfast or something. And then they did the bus tours and everything. And it made a huge difference because you're moving a whole unit for, like it was over 600 people, I think, who were being shifted. And it was like, Massive, right? You could have interviews with employers. Like there was all of these options like available for you in this time, and it was done so well. And I was like, "This is excellent. Like this is what we need. This is like thinking about the partners and the families. This is not just like, oh yeah, you're being posted. Figure it out." But I was just like quite shocked when I've seen it done well. I've seen them be able to be like, "Yeah, sure, we can do that. Let's organise this. Let's make something happen." And then. The rest of the time they're like, oh, no, no, that little thing that you're asking for, that's too hard. But, yeah, sure, we can fly 600 people to Townsville. No worries. I just don't don't understand how there's such dichotomy between.
0: Yeah, you would think that you've got that expectation of, oh, wow, that was really good, and then you're like, well, maybe things are picking up, and then, you you know, you have something else come up, and you're like, oh, okay, expectations crashed.
1: (laughs) I just wanted to address the issue of um, signing up. Um, we signed up for this life. I I never felt like I signed up. I met an amazing person. We fell in love. We got married. And he just happened to be a soldier. Um, We were together in one location for six years. Our baby was two weeks old when September 11 happened. And then that, for me, was the reality check. And then um, at the end of that year, we were posted. And that was my introduction into Defence Life. I was having this marvellous, wonderful life with this marvellous, wonderful person still in my normal um, community with my family and my friendship links in place. And then we got posted and we had no choice. We had to go. And for me, that was very confronting. So I never, ever felt like I signed up. We didn't even really discuss posting until he got a post in order. And I was told that Pakapanya was a beautiful place with lots of green fields and gentle rolling hills, and it would be lovely. And um, we came from uh, Brisbane, where I think it was the 25 degrees down to Pakapanya where it was 12 degrees and no one had any winter clothes with us so that was my introduction and then fast forward to 25 24 years later and I'm in a war zone myself and we're fighting for our life and fighting for our marriage and I remember my taking time off work to care for my husband one day and taking him to his psychologist appointment just desperately desperately needing this appointment to come around took him in he had the most amazing psychologist but after this one appointment she said I need to talk to you and I really appreciated that she involved me in the conversation and and we got inside she closed the door and she said you can't leave him and I said well what's happening and she said you can't leave him he'll kill himself and I said I've got no intention of leaving. And she said, he thinks you're going to leave him. And I said, well, I don't know why he thinks that. And she said, because he thinks he's an unworthy husband and he thinks he's put you through so much pain. And um, I said, yes, but, but but I'm not leaving. My only concern is what do I do when I go to work? And she couldn't give me an answer for that. She said, just check in with him during the day as much as you can. And if you need to come home, come home.
5: So I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know anything about PTSD. I did my thesis on PTSD, on the acquisition of trauma and how effectively you can distinguish trauma from the brain, basically. And, you know, trauma is something that overwhelms the nervous system, but also trauma is being left alone after the incident without a debrief without some without connection being left alone to deal with it solidifies it as a trauma memory so what we what we saw in our research and what's reflected in the research is that people who are more likely to suppress big negative feelings or trauma not talk about their feelings not try to connect not try to process but try to dissociate ignore are much more susceptible to PTSD than people who reframe, connect, discuss, debrief. So the culture around trauma and in in the ADF is literally setting people up for failure and making them more susceptible to PTSD. And that's, that's not what the just, research shows.
0: That's not just for yes the focus for PTSDs for the defense member because of all that they're exposed to in their job and deployments and everything that comes with being a defense member. But there's trauma within the things that defense partners and families experience as well. And because we do, Absolutely. if you are disconnected from the community, maybe you aren't connected to anyone within that's living defense life, you haven't found that connection yet, you're more likely to then experience that in regard to the challenges that you face within defence life.
5: Oh absolutely and that you know being in a situation where you feel like your defence member's life is at stake or you're left alone with a crying baby or anything that's overwhelming and you don't have any support and you feel isolated you're going to experience trauma around that and you're going to have trauma reactions, anxiety, memories around future deployments. It's going to cause significant mental health issues And that's something that's being under supported and
3: inconsistently
5: supported currently.
3: This is exactly um, what Brooke just said is exactly what my psychologist said to me when I didn't understand why I had my husband home and why I was struggling with reintegration why there was no joy and and why i had suicidal ideation and like she said is because when you were ghastly and you were invalidated with your experiences you were not only experiencing the grief of the situation but the trauma was solidified. It was reinforced. And then that's what you're left with is the trauma response. So now your body is at a point where it's dealing with the trauma. And the only way it knows how to do that is it goes to the flight or fight reaction. And she was like, and so that's where you're at. And it makes a lot of sense. But if, I couldn't connect with somebody like Brooke and a psychologist at that point. If I wasn't able to make that call or I didn't have my husband recognize it and say, listen, you really need to make this call. Do you want me to do it with you? What happens for people then? Like, how are they supposed to cope in that moment with that such trauma? And I guess like it just, it makes me really sad because I know that today there would still be people in that situation. That can't make that call and I know what it feels like to be at that point and to just be dealing with the trauma.
0: I think as well we need to recognise that constantly having to transition from you know one location to the next and constantly having to prove why you uh, are worthy of employment or why you're going to be the best person for the job and you will stick around for the job or whatever it is constantly having to go through that cycle creates trauma in itself and that when when we're talking about trauma we're not always just talking about PTSD obviously that is a huge that has a huge impact on the family but we we also need to recognize that there's trauma in lots of different areas of defense life.
5: Absolutely and you know there is that complex PTSD which is so rife when there are situations of an imbalance of power and, you know, you see a similar, I mean, and I don't want to, to draw this strictly as a line, but in domestic violence relationships where someone has the financial upper hand or control, someone controls who we see, when we see how we present ourselves, I mean, it's that there's, there's an imbalance of power, but an imbalance of responsibility as well. And there's a lot of similar elements there that create that, you know, that affects your self-worth. There's so, you know, there's elements of gaslighting where you're doubting your instincts, you're doubting your thoughts, you're not getting the feedback to validate your feelings, you're having to change things constantly, there's no stability. So absolutely, absolutely, there's trauma. And when there is that isolation and that disconnect, That can be something that accumulates over time. And for our children as well, I mean, studies show moving consistently or deployments, they do affect our children without intervention. There is a a statistical difference in mental health and connecting with peers for like the more deployments and the more moves that a child has. I mean, and that's really, that's something that we have to sit with in terms of our families and ourselves. But that's also something that we're not told about either.
0: Like we're not yeah. we're not told, okay, well, okay, you've chosen to have kids, you're connected to the defense lifestyle, and these are some of the things that your your children at these different stages during these different times might experience. We're still not freely given that information how are we supposed to mitigate any mental health challenges any any impacts on our on ourselves on on us when we're we're not even given the information
5: absolutely and there's so much guilt around this lifestyle with children as well you see you know especially as they start to get older you know if you have children you can see you know have them having to leave their friends them having to you know they don't get to choose where they go they can't and then two years later Again and again. If we had education programs or courses that we did around, okay, what, is, what does posting look like? What does posting look like for kids? What does the research show helps them make friends feel settled? What do they need to do to process that grief and say goodbye to their friends previously instead of just pretending it's not happening? Like giving those skills, those resources to family members and for their friends as well, marking occasions keeping in contact with friends having extra support around that for for the spouses as well that's so important because we're not we don't learn inherently how to transition in different stages of our life let alone different postings maintain friendships over distance all of that stuff and trying to, and trying to manage a relationship our children or or our dependents or whatever and ourselves and our sense of self esteem what if we're not even taught how to manage our basic needs not and I'm not talking about like food and whatever but you know our our mental health how we feel like independent humans not just a source of support for others.
0: I mean also as well on that even if we are taught to meet our basic needs when it comes to our mental health and any sort of challenges we're having within life the supports and services that are offered and it's not strictly this way but we're made to feel that they are only offered when we're at crisis as opposed to as a point of maintenance or as a point of education to mitigate any problems that we might have down the line.
5: Part of the process, you know, like those nights that you get called to when your partner's going to be deployed or you become a dependent where they say, okay, well, this is going to happen and you guys are great and here is DCO and blah, blah, blah. That's a normal part of the process. And that letter that you get that says here are the numbers and here is the CEO signing off that they see you, that's a part of the process. You know, why isn't this part of the process? We have a round table meeting where you're all invited and and there's coffee and there's cake or, and someone talks about, these are the issues you're likely to come up against. If you hit these issues, call this number, do this, do that. Here are some things you can talk to your children about. Here are some things you can do. We have a wellness retreat. We have a gym with a creche. We have someone to look after your child. If you need a night off to go to the movies by yourself, to maintain your mental health, you know, that being a part of the standard process, whether people scream out for it or not, the fact that it's there already would just mitigate so much crisis, I think, in my exactly. opinion. Exactly. And talking
1: about it and talk therapy is what works. My husband went to a psychiatrist, he had medication, he had this, but the right psychologist with the right training, with the right approach, the talk therapy, is what works. And us coming together as as part of the process with our cups of tea and, you know, our um, movie nights or whatever and um, checking in with each other and seeing how they are, that's part of that talk therapy as well.
0: We need all of those things to come together, but we also need to start and that's why you know we're having this discussion about more of us being able to have a voice and be able to put these things out there because at the moment it feels like those voices aren't being heard and you know there's nothing wrong with doing that because essentially defense partners coming together and having a voice is what led to all of the supports and services that exist now the whole reason Defence Community Organisation, which is what it was called then, was introduced and, you know, the supports and services that were introduced in the 80s were implemented, were because defence partners started to come forward and tap the minister, the then minister on the shoulder and say, hey, we need more, we need support, we need help with this. And that's originally how, you know, the supports and services that exist now were essentially introduced back in the 80s how can we be part of that conversation so that we can get it right essentially so that we can all be supported because that's all we want we just want to be supported and part of the conversation we just want to be heard and I think what what maybe and I don't want to speak for everyone but I think what maybe what we're all saying is that it, it takes all of the agencies it takes talking it takes the movie nights it takes the coffee it takes the actual pilot programs and the formal things that are offered via defence and the the DSMs in the schools. And it takes all of those little pockets, but that we just all need I guess an avenue of being able to have engage and have a voice in regard to how all of those things are working together and how we can I, improve those things.
2: Like on that note, like the difference that that can be made when it does happen. Like I was very fortunate to be invited to a kind of I don't know roundtable. It wasn't quite a roundtable discussion, but it, the then minister for um, families and veterans affairs, Dan T, and back in twenty. 20- 16 or 17 whenever it was came to pucker to discuss the issues that had been faced a lot by people living there having to travel long distances not being able to you know people with children with special needs um people who wanted to work who couldn't get work in seymour which was the only town within 10 minutes all of those sorts of things and as a result of that and issues that were raised um my biggest thing was when i i one of the things i talked about was that You know, we moved to Pucker. First of all, it was not a when posting preferences go in, you you know, put three preferences in. It wasn't on our list and we were given it. And so I was like, okay, now what do I do? Didn't have a job before I moved there because I was sort of kind of planning on returning to study. DHS said, no, if you don't have a reason to live in, you have to have a job that shows that you were then entitled to a house not on Paka. So I said, like, we had to live in Paka and I'm now commuting 100 kilometres each direction and you are telling me it's not safe for the member to drive more than 30 kilometres, but it's okay for the spouse to drive 100 in each direction every day. So 200k round trip plus working a full day. And so that was acceptable to them, but it wasn't acceptable if we lived somewhere halfway and we weren't allowed that choice either. We were basically told no. And I raised that. And as a result of that, we then started a new housing trial which meant that you didn't have to have a job as long as you just said like we can't live on the base for certain reasons they were like okay you can look for housing elsewhere or offered housing in wallen or areas that were slightly closer to the city and that came as a result of that discussion and that was the minister was like oh my gosh and I was like yeah I was like I can't he was like that's ridiculous that's how far you're expected to travel and I was like yes because defense will not support that and he and was able to make change and that like power that they hold in that space is huge and the ability for them to be able to like and those changes have massive ramifications and it didn't affect us unfortunately ice was in the same we're in the same position but it helped people who came afterwards and i think that's the biggest thing being able to push for for first of all these people to recognize the power that they do hold and the ability of change that they do have when they actually want to make a change and secondly that ability to um to change the path for those who come after us
0: and also to be able to, to have the ability to be involved in the conversation and have that unfiltered lived experience go to the people that can make those decisions yes we need people advocating for us we need organizations that are representing us but to hear more about why and how defense partners and families should and can have more of a voice have a listen to episode 143 part two of this discussion